Welcome to Let's Get to Work, a podcast with stories of hope and inspiration for people experiencing blindness and vision loss, as well as those wanting to support us. Brought to you by the Employment Committee of the American Council of the Blind, a place where we talk about all things employment, finding jobs, holding jobs, building careers, and challenging stigmas. Each month will consist of two visually impaired people who have chosen to travel down unique career paths. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's get to work. This is continuing coverage of the 2021 Convention of the American Council of the Blind. Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Welcome to the Interviewing Skills Workshop. My name is Peter Altschul. I am the program chair of the Employment Committee. The Employment Committee uh, is a committee of the American Council of the Blind, and our primary claim to fame is we uh, do a monthly community call on the community uh, uh, sessions, Zoom calls, and we have been interviewing people from from unique careers who are blind uh, and creating podcasts from them, which we are connecting with the American Printing House for the Blind's Career Connect. Welcome to all of you. I'd like to interview my uh, co-host, Carrie Muth from Coos Bay, Oregon, and she's going to give the CEU codes. Carrie, say hi. Hi, everybody. I'm excited to be here today. And the opening CEU code is 85930. Again, 85930. So, okay. So, welcome to our interviewing session. So, go ahead, Peter. Okay. So, a, a few things before we actually start the interview process. We have a very august panel. And uh, you may not know this yet, but ACB just opened a position. It's called the ACB Chief Wizard position. And these three people have applied for it, and we've chosen them to be the finalists for the position. Uh, I will introduce them uh, as part of the interview process, but I want to give people a sense as to how this program is going to work. We are going to ask each uh, panelist three questions. in a round robin format, and imagine this is a real interview. I, you know, suspend your disbelief if you can, but we're trying to make this as close to an interview as we can. Uh, so we're going to ask each of these people uh, th- uh, three questions in a round robin format, and then we're going to pause and um, see if there are any comments or reactions from the audience. So, if a thought comes to you or a reaction, please raise your hand. Let's get ready to ask the first question of our, of our very talented group of, of interviewees for the ACB Chief Wizard position. And so the way this is going to work, I'm going to ask the question, and Carrie is going to figure out who's going to answer first, second, or third. So are we all ready for the first question? Go I for think, it. I think we are. <laughs> so the first question is, tell us about yourself. Pam Shaw. Thank you so much for the question. Um, I am, as you know, Pam Shaw, and I'm here 
uh, from Philadelphia to talk a little bit and answer your questions about becoming uh, the ACB chief wizard. One of the things about me is I've had more than 20 years of experience in human resources and human services. And the other thing that I've specialized in in my career has been transition and change. And I've done that in every type of agency from profit to nonprofit, corporate and government. Thank you, Pam. Thank you so much. Brooke Jostad. Thank you so much for the question and for having me. I am honored to be part of this, the final running for the ACB Chief Wizard position. Um, my name is Brooke Jostad. I'm from Colorado. Um, I, as far as my background, I have a background in social work and in leadership as well. I started to coordinate special events and special services for organizations um, in 2005, and I've been doing it since then off and on. And right now, I work as a counselor in an outpatient setting and coordinate individual, family, and group counseling services. So I think that would be a valuable asset to the ACB community as the Chief Wizard. Thank you, Brooke. Next, Michael Garrett. Yes, I'm Michael Garrett. I, my career background is in the field of investments. Retired from J.P. Morgan Chase uh, through a lot of mergers. I was an analyst with an investment analyst, research analyst, with the duty of following a number of S&P 500 industries. I've probably followed in my career over 75% of the S&P. So I have experience in, in a lot of the industries and the companies that you buy your products from today or gain services. Also in my background, I've been affiliated with a number of cross-disability organizations serving on many boards in Texas uh, and in, in my local hometown. Thank you, Michael. And thank you all three of you for your, for your answers. We will now move on to the second question, which is, tell me about a recent workplace-related problem. How did you handle a situation and what were the results? So again, tell me about a recent workplace-related problem. How did you handle a situation and what were the results? Brooke. All right. Brooke, what's up? A recent workplace-related problem that I experienced was coordinating a summer camp for adolescents in which the age group was 7 to 13. So the ages were pretty diverse. There were only two of us leading the entire program. And as a result, there were two of us with 10 children between those very diverse ages. The way that I we managed this and resolved this workplace challenge because of the staffing concerns um, was we did a lot of subgrouping and coordinating smaller groups within the bigger group since we couldn't get more staff. A lot of very intense communication and teamwork between the two of us and debriefing with the families that we were working with and advocating for ourselves for next year to have more staff contact and more staff support. That sounds like a real interesting project. Great work. It was. Thank you. 
Yeah. And Michael? I remember a time when in a professional setting, a lot of my colleagues were able to travel, to go to conferences, to to do all of the things that would aid them in finding out more about the companies that we follow. But for some reason, I seemed to get left out. And when I made a request to go to a conference to travel, uh, I was turned down. So what I did was go to my supervisor and pull out a chair and we had a nice long talk. I wanted my supervisor to get to know me, to understand who I am and what I wanted to do for the organization to make sure that when I make a recommendation to our, our portfolio managers that uh, we got the best, or they got the best information so that they could make good decisions. Thank you, Thank Michael. You. That was some great self-advocacy. Nice to hear that. Um, Pam Shaw. Thank you. Once after a building inspection, we were notified that there was asbestos in the building and everyone had to be moved out within the next five business days. And I was the responsible party. So step one was to pull a committee together, a coordinating committee that represented all of the various aspects of what we did in that building. Second, and everyone had their own specific area of responsibility. Second, we made sure that we stayed in communication with our press personnel and ensured that they spoke to the community, to other government officials, and also to anyone and to the press so that this matter was handled safely and securely and with as much, with with as little disruption to the services that our agency provided and I'm happy to say that we were successful. Thank you Pam and thank you for to all of you for for those for those uh, examples. Uh, going on to our third question and again if you have questions or comments or reactions this is to the audience please raise your hand and we will get to you fairly shortly I think. So here's the next question. And I think we'll start with Michael on this one. Michael, how did you become blind? I was born blind. Born with uh, retinitis pigmentosa, which is a progressive eye disease. So in the beginning, I had fairly decent vision. But of course, those who have RP understand that it is since it is progressive over the years i began to lose vision and that had an impact in my employment fortunately my employer was very accommodating because i started out using a cctv graduated from that to the opticon which made a lot of noise and the and bothered the pe people in my office but thank god for Talking computers, which uh, made my job a lot more uh, easy to do. Thank you. And Brooke Jostad, how did you become blind? I'm I'm happy to answer that question. I'm I'm just wondering if I can ask um, the reason for your question. Just curious. Is that a curiosity? Okay. Yeah. 
And I'm happy to answer follow-up about the equipment I use. Um, I was born this way, so this has been a, since birth, I've been blind. Thank you. And Pam Shaw, how did you become blind? Well, I would like to just kind of get a sense of what the reason is for this particular question and the impact upon my potential employment. Uh, no impact on the employment, but I, but I think it's a, a fair question to ask. You know, you're, you're, you know, you're blind. I think it's fair that I ask that question. Okay. Thank you very much for that answer. Um, I was born blind as a result of congenital cataracts and glaucoma. And it was a result of my mother having been exposed to measles while she was pregnant with me. They didn't know the impact of that at that time, but subsequently vaccines have been developed. And I would like to say that as a blind person, my focus has been on living and working independently and utilizing all the skills that are necessary to be successful. Thank you, Pam, and thank you for the three of you. So we're going to take a pause um, on the interview questions. And before I see if there are any hands raised, I'd like to get any reactions from the panelists about how it's been thus far answering these questions. Uh, any reactions, any, any uh, uh, you know, uh, whatever. Anybody, any panelists want to share something? This is Pam Shaw. And what I would share from my experience is that generally speaking, and I'm speaking from having sat on both sides of the table, when um, I'm asking someone to tell me about themselves, I have their resume in front of me. So what I'm looking for is them to tell me the things that aren't on the resume and also to make that resume basically come alive. Thank you, Pam. Other other reactions? So I, I have a reaction in, in that in that the, the, the question about the blindness is 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 interesting and normally doesn't happen uh, sometimes, I guess. But that the whole issue made a difference in the way I interviewed to get my very first job, because it was obvious when I walked into the booth office, whatever, wherever, whatever the, the, the area was that I was blind, but I had to comfort, so to speak, for lack of a better word, but put the, the interviewer at ease about my blindness. And, and, and in today's world of, of virtual job interviews that may be a little bit different and I'm, I'm sure that the subject will come up later about disclosure but in a in a walk-in interview it was my idea or it was it was my thought to put the interviewer at ease and, yeah. and as 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 a, as a pr prospective employee you have to find out the best way that works for you to put that put that person at ease about your blindness so I just wanted to say that that Carrie and I, when we chose the questions, we picked this question knowing that it's an illegal question right. and and knowing that we, we get asked this question at weird moments at inappropriate times. Yeah, yeah. And so I think it's really important for us to wrestle with, the, with these kinds of things. Uh, Donna, are there any hands raised? Yes, we have two hands. Let's do it. All right. Our first uh, hand is Sarah Holloway. You may speak. Hi. So um, I think Mr. Garrett did a good job of kind of answering the question that I was going to pose, but um, I want to hear from the other two panelists as well. How do you go about addressing 
the blindness issue and um, just making people feel more comfortable with it and not scaring them off. <laughs> so this is Brooke. Um, so this is actually the first time I've ever mock interviewed for or real interviewed for a blindness related position. Um, and I think I would answer it differently in that case than um, so when I'm interviewing for non blindness related positions, I really sell it. And I think I would do the same thing for a blindness related, but I might approach it a little differently, but I sell it as an asset as um, in the way that this particular question was brought up from the pan in this mock interview. I didn't choose that direction because it is an illegal question, mm -hmm. but in general um, in the interview, I try to bring it up first. I try to bring it up before they meet me. Um, but that's not always the case. And I bring it up as an asset. You know, I've used this creatively. I honor diversity. Um, and here's some of the ways that I creatively do that. Thank Thanks, you, Brooke. Brooke. And Pam? Yeah, I, I think I have uh, agreement with all of the panelists that have gone so far in terms of answering the question. The one thing that I would point out is that when we go into any situation relative to our blindness, a lot of it starts with where we are about being blind. And so if we're looking at it as an asset, we're able to go in and project that. But if we are seeing it ourselves as a dis disability, then sometimes that comes out as well. But again, concurring that, frankly, it isn't an illegal question, but a way to answer it so that you don't antagonize the um, potential employer. Also, by the way, I would just mention that I've had interviews in blindness agencies where I was asked some questions that were inappropriate and actually illegal. So it can happen mm -hmm. in any setting. And and this is Carrie, and I would like to um, make a comment. I think a lot of it is, I, I totally go with um, Brooke and Michael, like I'm obviously blind when I walk in the door. And so, you know, going in there with a lot of confidence and knowing that you're prepared um, and bringing it up really helps, you know, and, you know, just trying to move it into the conversation. They start talking about, you know, technology that they're using in the interview, for example, you can, you know, talk about what all you've done, you know, and, and what adaptive software you use. Do you use JAWS or NVDA or what, what do you use accessibility wise? And so, you know, it is a really good thing to, but, but being confident and secure in what you know, when you walk in there, um, so that you're able to, when they, as they answer, ask those questions, you're able to answer them with full confidence in all the questions. I think that's really important too. So, and that. just to add really quickly, I apologize. Um, oh, go ahead. I was asked this in an interview, and I actually indicated at that time that I wasn't comfortable responding to the nature of how I became blind, but I'd be happy to answer questions about it. So you're, I think I have to honor my own boundaries, too. And I think it's important to recognize that even as interviewees, we can make people we can make people feel comfortable without disclosing personal information that we don't feel comfortable disclosing. Yeah, no, I think, I think, yeah, I think excellent that's right. point. Good point. Good point. It's a very, it's yeah. a very good point. I try to, I try not to, I try to find a way to raise the issue of blindness in an indirect way in response to one of the questions that I'm asked uh, or uh, in, 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 basically that's what, that's my goal so that I can make them more comfortable with, by addressing a question it's sort of a natural way about how I address something or about my technology, as somebody pointed out. 
So, but, but it is awkward when you, when you're asking a legal question, which happened to me, I'm sure it's happened to all of us. So mm-hmm. anyway, uh, okay. Uh, any other, uh, any other reactions to that particular question? Having heard none, let's move on to the next question. All Bye. right. The next person is Doreen Cornwell. You may speak. My name's Doreen Cornwell and you guys have already touched on the illegal question issue, except that I might come back and say, can you, I think one of you came back and said something, can you relate to how it's the essential job functions or because it is the case that um, like there's one deaf services agency here where knowledge of ASL is a job requirement. And I have no idea whether they ask illegal questions or not. I was also kind of like, okay, what is this job description? Because when the, the tell me about yourself piece, sometimes I would try to relate something in the tell me about yourself to the job description. Um, I, I've been on both sides of this, although I have to say I've been more on the hiring side, but not on the really great job on the scary jo- nonprofit that will work you too hard for what we're paying you problem. So so I, I, I uh, and I liked that when you said talk when people talked about solve a problem, that it was a problem anybody could have, not just that it would be a blind person problem. I felt like that was a really a strength. But I guess the the I guess my strategy, because I lost vision in midlife and sort of had to change careers. Part of my strategy was just that I started doing a lot of civic participation events so everybody I knew I was blind and I haven't really like tried to do any independent contracting or whatever but it was partly just to give me something to help sort out the things I could do from the things I couldn't do and so by that I figured well I might get a job from some of these people and they're already going to know I'm blind and hopefully they're going to know what I can do but they're also going to help me figure out like there's just things that are hard about being a blind person or being a blind person in meetings. I, I would say that some of my like volunteer activities, it's become really obvious that it, things like not being able to make eye contact or not being able to do the visual cues that a lot of sighted people take for granted, it can be really difficult for some of them. Like it's not just, oh no, you can't do the job. It's they're freaking out because their basis of reaction is kind of thrown. And um, I don't know if anybody wants to comment on that, but um, I just thank you for letting me share that experience. Thank you for sharing it. Uh, Any reactions from the panel? Okay. Uh, Donna. um, You know, know, Peter, I would like to make um, one comment because she had brought up the tell me a bit about yourself and trying to relate it to the job description. You know, another really great thing is really think about what, skills you have that you might want to highlight because that tell me about yourself question is extremely common in interviews and there are great resources you can just go google interview questions and there's some great ideas but you know being able to highlight your skills and the other big thing is when that when you come to that question i think our panelists here did an excellent job they were all work related um and like pam mentioned um you know you know they they have try to highlight things that may not be on your resume, but you definitely don't want to go down the rabbit hole of, oh, you know, I'm, I'm 50 years old and I have, you know, six children and da 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 you know, you don't do the personal stuff. You keep it on that professional level and 
you know, highlight the skills and things that you need to get that job. The other thing I liked about to add all, to that, yeah, please, Brooke. Oh, oh ahead, okay. Brooke. To add to that, and this might come also from my grant writing experience, it's really helpful to look at the agency that you're interviewing for their website ahead of time or their um, mission statement or whatever it is and sprinkle words of that in your telling me about yourself. So let's say they, you know, foster independence and leadership or whatever words you tend to see highlighted on their website a lot. It goes a long way to show that you were, did your homework and studied and can link the questions back to their mission. Sure. And this is Pam. I think that's really an important feature of knowing something about the organization before you went in, because an example is, and I'm just using my own examples in my own mind, okay, is if I'm going in to interview in an agency and I know that one of their challenges has been crises, okay, then I'm going to use in my example um, when the question, you know, is appropriate, when the answer is appropriate about how I handled a crisis. So I knew that about that agency and that's part of that prep. Yeah. I think that's really useful. And, I, I, go and, ahead, Michael. And, and that's what, that's, I just want to say, that's why I threw in the bit about uh, being involved in the disability community. Sure. One of the things I really liked about the tell me about uh, yourself answers that they were all short. You know, I think sometimes we all <laughs> get 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 freaked out and go on for way too long. Yeah. And I really liked that all three of your responses were short and to the point. And so that that was totally awesome. Uh, Donna, any more hands raised? Oh yes, you got quite a few. All right, well let's let's take a couple more. Yep. All righty. So our next person is area code eight zero eight ending in six zero six. You may now speak. Hi, this is Deb. Thank you. I don't know if, how you think about this. My response would be, my blindness isn't important. What I think is important is the fact that my blindness, as with many disabled people, gave me the strength to problem solve and created in me a resolve to accomplish things in my life that maybe I wouldn't have had the strength to do if I wasn't disabled. Interesting. And reactions from, like that from the panel. Yeah. But yep. I, I believe though you have to be able to, uh, while you may feel you know strengthened by it, but you have to be able to convey that to the prospective employer. If, if yeah. you can't, if you can't convey that to them, then because normally when they see your blindness, that's what they focus on you have to you, they want to know who you are though and when you can let them know who you are then they can view you competitively against the other applicants and, and, and the awkward thing is you're trying to create a relationship right so uh, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's almost like a blind date pun intended and so um you don't want to come across as being a preacher, you know, preachy, you know, Hey, that's an illegal question. I'm not going to answer it. That's not, that's not going to work. You know, so you have to find a way of creating a sort of a delicate balance is the way I look at it. And and it's, it's not a simple matter. Uh, Thank you. Uh, um, Let's take one more question. Then we'll do a couple more interview questions. Uh, Who's next, Donna. All right. Let's have Melissa Hudson. You may unmute. Thank you, Mr. Ultra and panel. 
And hello, Miss Miss uh, Pam Shaw. It's good to talk to you again. You've been um, following me. <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> um, so I, I want to go in a little bit of a different direction because we haven't talked about this yet. And that is eye contact. What if you are in an interview situation where you're totally blind like me and there are five people interviewing you for this particular job? Is it appropriate and okay to say, um, I can't see, so could you please identify yourself when you want to ask me a question? That way I can recognize you. And and that w- and, and also, is it okay to say, could you please let me know um, where you are so that I can stay in eye contact with you? <clears throat> Thank you. Thank you. Melissa, this is Pam. I grew up in a lot of old school. I, I call it old school because I don't really know what's new school today. But there was <laughs> quite a bit of focus on directing yourself, turning in the direction of the person who is speaking. So if that person asked the question, I was just trained to listen and to face that person, if that's the right language to use when they speak. Now, one thing I have found is that it's okay, from my perspective, to ask for what you need to make that interview successful, to be able to communicate with them. And I think a real simple explanation, or even if you're asked the question and you're not sure who is answering it, but you need to know that for your, it's okay to say, may I ask you your name? I'm getting used to your voice. Ah. And I've had to do that, by the way. Yeah. Okay. In government, you are very rarely interviewed by one people, one people, one person. At a minimum, it's three. Thank you, Melissa. Uh, is David still around, or has he disappeared? Yes. Yes. Right yeah. Go ahead and answer your question, David, and then we'll we'll move on. Go ahead. Okay. Thank you. Um, so I, sorry, I joined late. I was dealing with SSDI and Social Security, and that can be a problem. Um, so if you've answered this question before, I can listen to the podcast when it's when it's listed, but I'm in human services. So I lost my vision later in life um, and transitioned careers and have worked for a couple of nonprofit community mental health organizations and I'm about to start um, with another one. And I've noticed that, um, and I'm looking for support from affiliates or organizations. I'm in California, um, and whether it's here or elsewhere, on it seems to me, and I'm curious on the panel's opinion, that working or applying for a position where the, the, the company, it's in the human services or even nonprofit or for-profit, but in, in mental health, they have a different approach in they seem to see see me as a client because they work mm. with people who have health issues or mental health issues, disabilities versus if you're applying, let's say for a job in IT or business, because they oh, I, you know, they're familiar with IT. So yeah, there must be an IT solution. So they're kind of more comfortable with it. But I really found it difficult to get over their fear or their legal concerns, their liability concerns or whatever sell myself. I don't have a problem selling myself in an interview, but once I disclose, and I've tried from disclosing up front to disclosing after the third interview to going to an interview, I mostly interviewed during COVID. So most of them were over Zoom or over the phone, but it's the human services field. And and I'm curious as to, and, and if I can get, you know, maybe a resource or panel comments or to talk to someone offline. Thanks, David. 
Pam or somebody from from the uh, panel? <laughs> well, Peter said that partially because both of us come from a social service background. So we sort of understand a lot of that from even in our school days of getting internships and yeah. things like that. People wanting to see us more as a client than as you said. But one of the things that and we sort of said it earlier, but not in this particular context, it's kind of important how you think about yourself and the confidence that you come with and the skills that you have. And also, if they ask a question that is going in the direction of client, then shift it back to you. Because one thing I try to tell everybody when I'm working with clients on interview skills, you want to walk in as if you are the answer to that hiring official's prayer. You are not a problem. You are a solution to what they are experiencing in the organization. Pam, I just want to react to, uh, react to that because that happened to be uh, more than once in a, in a social working mm-hmm. kind of position. And I failed spectacularly at doing it, what you suggested. And, uh, at, and what I learned from the experience is you can, uh, you can do the best you can. And sometimes it just isn't going to work. That's right. You know, it's just, you, you got to move on. And shake the uh, what's it the, the dust off your sandals or whatever that expression is, right. and just move on with your life. Uh, there's some you know, and it's 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 terrible. It it shouldn't happen, but it does. Thank you, David, for that. And uh, uh, I don't know what to say beyond that except keep on trucking. I'm glad you. I'm glad you're working. Um, okay, we're going to um, keep your hands raised and continue to raise hands if you have questions. We will get to as many of you as we can, but we want to continue the interview process. So we have these three panelists interviewing for the uh, uh, ACB chief wizard position. So I'm going to ask you to put your wizard hats back on, uh, panelists, and we're going to ask you the next question, which is, if you were an insect, what would you be and why? And Pam Shaw, if you could answer. Uh, (laughs) Okay. If, and I've been asked this question before, okay? If I were an insect, what I would be is the queen bee. And why would you be the queen bee? <laughs> well, because the queen bee is strong, the queen bee takes charge, and the queen bee is confident. Great answer. Great answer. Okay. Thank you, Pam. And, and Brooke Jostad? Well, I love the question. Um, if I were an insect, be a fly, the fly on the wall, and that fly absorbs everything, takes up information, learns, is constantly observing, can sometimes be a little annoying, but but has a purpose. <laughs> so that would be my role: is the the fly on the wall that is constantly learning, absorbing, and moving information around to appropriate places. Great Thank answer. You. Thank you, Brooke. So, so Michael Garrett, if you were an insect, what would you be and why? I would be a wasp because, and of course I'd be the king wasp, but, but because wasps build, they build nests, uh, they're caretakers and they will sting you if you try to invade their nests. So that's the protection. Thank you, Michael. And thank you all for, 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 the, for those answers about insects. Um, we'll move on to our next question. Um, what would you do if you disagree with a policy or procedure? Let me repeat that. What would you do if you disagree 
with a policy or procedure? And Brooke? Well, I would start by really sitting with myself and and exploring what it is I disagree with, because I think knee-jerk reactions can be a little dangerous. Um, They can sometimes be valuable and sometimes not. And so I would spend some time observing my disagreements and even writing them down. I would then figure out if my disagreements were personal, if they were just my own personal views, or if they were professional, and if my disagreements to the procedures and my suggested changes to the procedures would enhance the company or enhance the clientele that we work with. And if the answer to the question was that it wouldn't, my suggestions for changes would enhance the environment, I would bring them to my supervisor. I would not start by discussing them with fellow coworkers because I think word can of mouth can be a challenging thing and can lead to miscommunications. So it would start within. And if I decided they were worth bringing up, I would bring them up. If I decided they were too, they were personal and that they, my suggested changes wouldn't enhance the environment. I would let them be. Thank you. Thank you and Michael Garrett, what would you do if you disagreed with a policy or procedure? That's a good question. Cause I'm going through that right now in the situation. <laughs> And I, I agree with, with Brooke in that you have to sit down and work through the policies and procedures to find out whether uh, my suggestions would be, would be better or be more beneficial for, uh, for the organization or the people involved. But I have had the discussion with my my supervisors or superiors and uh they don't agree but for the good of the organization i am going along with the prescribed procedures and that becomes uh the idea for me is to understand what's best for the whole and not just for me Thank you, Michael. Great. Thank you. So, Pam Shaw, what would you do if you disagreed with a policy or procedure? I think both of my fellow panelists make very, very good points. One of the things that I would do is similar to having a private meeting with the supervisor. In that meeting, though, one of the things I have found it more helpful to do is ask questions and then based on the answers proceed because sometimes it could have been a misunderstanding on my part or I can tell you as having be the decision maker and the policy and procedure writer sometimes some things go in there that we cannot reveal Mm -hmm. and so it may not feel good to me I may not like it but I still feel that I have gone and spoken with the person aired my concerns, got some information, and then before leaving the meeting, come to some agreement of what's going to happen next, even if that is, thank you for your time. I want you to know that I intend to abide by these policies and procedures. Now, I didn't put in that even if I don't like it, but I wanted them to know that I was leaving with a cooperative spirit. Thank you. Thank you, Pam, and thank you for uh, each of your answers. Um, uh, we're going to go back to the audience in a second, but I want to ask the panelists if they have, if they have anything, observations 
of on how things have gone thus far as as far as the interview questions are concerned. I think the group interview Doing style is, is interesting. I enjoy yeah, I enjoy analyzing how my <laughs> thoughts change as I hear my panelists, my fellow panelists. And that happens, you know, with these group interviews. You you realize that you you might say a little something a little different because of what you've heard before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think a, a general comment that I would I would make on, on the the two questions in this segment are that when you're in an, an interview, it's it's good to try to point out those characteristics about yourself that that bring out character and and bring out your willingness to work for the good of the organization. Yeah, and, and that's um, and that's and that's really important. And I think sometimes think the best way to do that is is even when you're not asked a question, that you give me an example of when X happened. If you can find a way to weave a story of, of how you did it in, in a prior example, I think that's that that's a really good approach. I think, Mike, that's sort of what you were saying. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And Peter, one thing I would say, too, that's helping me is that I'm still operating from the position of being on this panel. I'm still learning. Mm-hmm. So I am learning from my panelists and even the questions that are coming from the audience. Okay. Speaking of the audience, do we have any raised hands, Donna? We do not have any raised hands at the moment. We do not. Okay. Well, okay. we, well, we could we, go to a next we, we, question. We'll go, um, next, we'll go to the next question. I say that and they go up. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Awesome. <laughs> let's, go let's, to the let's, audience. That's <laughs> what happens every time. Uh, well, that's great. I'm delighted. So let's 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 get let's get some questions from the audience. All right. Our first uh, question will come from Cheryl. Cheryl, you may speak. Um, thank you so much. Um, so I have a question around how do you um, make sure or how do you help others to learn sort of what you know? Um, in the sense, thinking about my own sort of entrance into the professional world, um, you know, people, I think, assumed I knew what I was doing, and I certainly did not. I mean, I can't tell you how many mistakes I made in sort of answering questions and et cetera. Um, but there wasn't anybody around who said, like, hey, you need to do this or you need to know this. So what do you think we can do to make sure that sort of this really fantastic knowledge that you all have, and I'm assuming other people have, that that's made more available to kids like myself who were sort of like first-generation college graduate? Um, That's an interesting question, Cheryl. Um, I think... Yeah, go ahead. I think one thing I can say is a lot of what I know or claim to know, I just confidently go with. (laughs) And then I find out later I'm wrong. So I think confidence, especially, you know, going into things with confidence, even if like, I I have no idea sometimes what I'm going to say. And I, I think there's something to be said for the fake it till you make it. But as far as knowledge, um, especially for first generation, um, I'd say watching interviews, if you can watch mock interviews online, or if you can think about what, think about it in terms of strength-based rather than deficit-based. What do you know? What are your strengths? Go with that. And rather rather than sitting and dwelling on what you don't know, because if you walk into an interview 
thinking about all the things you don't know, it's going to come off. I think that's right. Any you other know, comments? Go ahead. Uh, this is Carrie. I wanted to say, you know, what I, I would encourage people is, you know, you're not alone in this journey of seeking employment. Um, you have vocational rehabilitation organizations or commissions for the blind, whatever your state has. There's the employment divisions. There's a lot of different resources um, all over our country to help people gain skills in, in interviewing and applications and resume building and all these important things. Um, and so really, you know, look for resources, you know, uh, reach out through to we're the employment committee. Brooke yeah, is one of our, us. I think one of the things that's coming up these days and it's been in vogue for a while is build your network. It's, yeah. it's amazing to me when I've worked with people looking for employment and they were members of ACB that they thought of everything else and every place else other than the marvelous network and including the things like Career Connect and things like that. But we are friends here and we are family. And I think you'll find that people love being contacted. They love assisting. And you never know who and what somebody knows. So work on building a network. I want to say something that's totally counter to what's been said thus far, even though I agree with everything that's been said very strongly. There is a concept called imposter syndrome, which many people from underrepresented groups experience, which is they just feel inept no matter how good they really are. Uh, And it's a real issue. And there's all kinds of literature on the subject. And Mm -hmm. what I would encourage you to think about, and it, it ties into what somebody just said, know what your strengths are. And, you know, make sure you're really clear, clear at what they are and know that everybody fakes it. You know, this is, this isn't just a minority thing that every, everybody fakes it and it's okay to some degree. I mean, we, you want to be as prepared as you can be. I'm not saying you shouldn't be prepared. And that might include, for example, you know, doing mock interview questions with a friend, you know, sharpening your storytelling skills, all those kinds of things. But remember that you're you're not alone in feeling in mm-hmm. feeling inept. You know this is mm-hmm. a this is a common thing. It's okay to do that, but you have to find a way of of, of fighting through it. And, and I would like to add. Um, you mentioned, you know, go ahead and fake it, which Brooke said. Even faking it, always be honest. Yeah, it, it'll yes. catch you. It'll it'll catch you every time. So always be honest, but definitely focus on the strengths. Thanks so for clarifying I, that, Carrie. I was definitely not suggesting that you guys should like <laughs> create a secret right. identity. Yeah. <laughs> right. Absolutely wasn't either. Michael Garrett, I you appreciate want, it. So, Michael so, yeah. Garrett, you want to say something? Peter said a word that that that, that jogged jogged me. I, I developed these little, uh, I always developed uh, outlines, and and this one, there are four things, and then we've already talked about them, but keep in mind. Prepare, presentation, or well, let me go back. Preparation, presentation, promotion, and personality. Mm-hmm. And to some to some extent, we've said these things all throughout today. But hopefully, you can remember that in 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 preparing for a job or job interview. Preparation, know know about the position, the the organization, the company. Presentation, how are you going to present when you get there? Promotion, promote yourself uh, in a positive way, how you can 
can benefit their organization and personality. Go in there with confidence. Go in there with confidence. Yeah. Peter, may I add one more thing, please? Sure. Please go ahead. I just want to say this, and this is a piece that we often don't pick up as we're looking at nailing that great job in interviewing. It is okay to say, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I know that's hard for people to hear, but it really is. And what you can say is, I don't know. That's not something with which I have had experience, but I'm here and I'm willing to learn and grow. I actually was told that that's the reason I got hired because everybody else, they said, tried to make up something. Mm -hmm. And what it was, was it was sort of a, what do you call it? A phony question. Mm -hmm. And along with that is if you say in an interview, I don't know, but if you know where the resources are and I say, you know, I don't know the answer to that, but mm-hmm. I know who to contact and I will find out you better follow up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 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 So, yeah. Sure. I hope that was helpful. Uh, uh, thank you for, for your question. Uh, who's next, Donna? Next, we have Sarita. You may speak. Hi, it's good to hear the uh, responses. They've been excellent. I just wanted to share, and this is more of an observation, and I love what Michael just said, the uh, four things that he he presented, because um, it is so important that you not lose sight of the fact that you're, you can have fun with this. You know, you don't want to overthink it to the point that you become so rigid and stoic in your responses. But you want to appear to be engaging and able to even ask a question. And, and, and remember that there are going to be things that will be said to you consciously or unconsciously to make you come off point, to take you off your, your center of balance. And how you're able to uh, respond to that and still feel like you're in somewhat of control for yourself is going to be critically important for your ability to survive an interview. And, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and being able to say, as Pam said, I, I, I don't, I've never experienced that. At the same time, being able to say, can, can we come back to that? I'd like to have some time to think about that as we're proceeding mm-hmm. with the interview. There's nothing wrong with doing that either. But I, I also... Also, one last point, feeling uncomfortable with being, feeling comfortable with being comfortable, being comfortable with feeling uncomfortable. That sounds weird, but you know what? If someone asks you an answer, like that first question, how did you become blind? Being able to redirect is another way to handle that inappropriate, illegal question. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes you'll be asked questions that you are definitely uncomfortable with or confused about. Pam said, hey, I've never, I've never had that situation, but I'm going to give my best shot at it. You could also say that. Mm-hmm. But being able to always think of yourself as, you know, like a, a, a ball player comes in out and they limber up, they prepare, you know, don't overthink it just because that'll stress you out to the point that you can't be spontaneous. And sometimes they're looking for some of those other soft skills that aren't really asked directly in that Q&A, but they want to see how you handle yourself mm. when you're obviously off kilter. Yeah. 
Anyway, that's my two cents. No, Sri, I think, I think that's wonderful. I think that's really wonderful. And it, this this reminds you of the idea of you really, I mean, we, we tell people to over-prepare, but the problem with over-preparing is that you sort of lose you that. prepare Yeah, exactly. No, that's right. You, sort of, you, you, lose, you lose your personality. You might lose your mm-hmm. personality and your improvisatory ability to think on your feet because things never go the way they're going, that you think they're going to go. They just never do. You know, so the, the, you, need, you need to give yourself some space to, to, to improvise and to smile a little bit and to, and to be a little bit vulnerable, all those things that you exactly. talked about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, right. for, the, for the person who college student who's new to the world of employment, uh, never forget those mock interviews. If there's a company you're thinking about, call them up and say, Hey, listen, I've, I've got myself ready to pursue a career field in XYZ. I've been looking at your company. It, it's exciting. Is there someone there? that I can connect with who has a similar job title for the one I'm trying to pursue that I could set up some time with. Mm-hmm. Get your foot in the door that way too, so that you can be comfortable with the physical plant of it. You know, go ahead of time, visit the place so you know where that interview room is, how it's laid out. You want to get all of that anecdotal information as much as you can up front, so you can feel somewhat in control and also alleviate some of the anxiety you're going to naturally feel. I don't care how many times you've had an interview. Pam can attest to this. Michael can attest to this because I know them both. You're never going to feel comfortable. It's yeah. always something <laughs> new. You don't know the people. You don't know the players. Uh, and, and God forbid you get in the room and you got allergies and someone's got some bad cologne or perfume on. <laughs> you got to be prepared for everything. Because yeah. no, <laughs> really anything... Anything can, I, my, one of my last interviews, I was in a small conference room with a bunch of people, as Pam mentioned, there are three or four people giving me a panel interview, and there was a, a window open with a garbage uh, truck outside, and the air conditioning was turned <laughs> off, and I'm thinking, and I had over-prepared to answer a lot of technical HR questions, because that's my background. I had overprepared for that. And when I got in there, they didn't ask me any technical HR questions at all. They asked me all situational questions. Right. So you gotta be able to pivot and change your game plan because you might prepare for one thing. And if you're too rigid because you prepare for that one thing, you can't recoup and go in the direction they want to take you in. So I just wanted to say that. No, That's thank so thank you. I think I think I think everything everything you're saying is right. Uh, and it, what it, what this reminds me of is the whole idea of telling good stories. I mean, you, if you can tell good stories, you'll do just you know, you'll be exactly. far better off than if that if you just give give you know as you said technical information. Thank you, Sarita. Uh, who's next? Next, we have Natalia. You may speak. I really appreciate this. Unfortunately, I had to come in late because I had something else going. Uh, uh, this is amazing. Um, I was wondering. I am. I am in the process of moving to Ireland and uh, I am, I've been trying to find a job there for the last long time. And uh, I've applied for 14 jobs that I was qualified for um, and nothing has, uh, nothing has come of any of them. So I'm feeling like I'm going to have to apply for something that maybe I feel like I'm not qualified for. Uh, in order to get somewhere. Um, would there be, uh, I'm not sure how 
how do you go about sort of faking it until you make it? I mean, I, obviously I don't want to lie. Um, how, yeah, I guess that that's, that's my question. And also how would, would I be able to, to talk to one of you offline about, uh, Maybe going over my resume um, because I've not had someone to look at my resume for a while. Um, would it be possible to to do that? Or okay, those are my questions. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. So I'll start with the first one. Um, first of all, I know a lot of people who are perfectly qualified for a lot of positions, blind and sighted, and it just takes a while. Um, so I, you know just want to encourage you that this could very well just be, you know, the job market the way it is too, and to keep looking. Um, but as far as if you're not qualified for something, you're not qualified for something. Um, but you can maybe look at other skill sets you want to develop or volunteer opportunities. I don't know what your um, cushion is for when you're moving, but maybe a volunteer opportunity that's within your field. So maybe trying to be creative about, options. And then as far as us supporting you with resume, um, I'm sure one of the members of our committee could do something like that. Okay. Uh, very quickly, uh, what I've learned, and I moved to um, had to move from the East Coast to Columbia, Missouri. And basically, I wasn't taken seriously until I moved to Columbia, Missouri. They just, uh, Now, I understand it's different now with the virus and everything else. And you know, a lot of the stuff, more stuff is virtual. But I think it really does help for them to see that you're actually in the place that you're going to be in, in your case, Ireland. And yeah. you, you may find that, that people will take you more seriously when they, when they actually see you and they know you are actually in the country and you know, it, it makes a difference. Um, yeah. Well, the so problem I, is I, I cannot, uh, I cannot go back to the country until I locate a job. I've been there twice oh. and I love it with all my heart, but that is the rule of the immigration folks for me right now. I cannot return until I locate mm. work. You, you so I have to find job. a job before I go. Oh, so, you know, uh, uh, one strategy you might do is try doing informational interviews, contacting some of those companies and asking for an informational interview and just say, hey, you know, I'm really eager to move back to Ireland and, you know, want to talk to you about positions in your company. Um, so that might be a really good approach. The other thing I wanted to tell you is, you know, I know you have applied for jobs that you qualify for. Well, yeah. I don't know the job market in Ireland. I am a job developer in Coos Bay, Oregon. So I've been doing this for over five years, helping people with all different disabilities find jobs. And so one of the things we look at is, you know, okay, so is this job, um, you know, not just do you meet all the qualifications. Sometimes employers right now, they're not getting enough applicants for jobs. And so those, those things that they're wanting, that's their optimal person. But if yeah. you meet like 80, 90% of them, apply right. anyway. Um, right. Excellent. Because, yeah, because they're not necessarily going to get that, you know, 100% person on right. there. No. Yeah. I mean, I feel like no one is going to be 100% what they're looking for. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. What, gonna have some kind of hole. <laughs> and what are the, what are the, what are the comment? And we'd be happy to help you out with resumes and stuff. I'm sure we could figure something out. Thank uh, you. Uh, sure. you. You you may have already said this in your interviews, but one of the things I, I certainly would say is, look, I love Ireland. Yeah. I can't come back till I get a job. I really, I, you know, I'm hoping that you know, be honest, you know, because right. they, they, then they understand why you're not there. Um, right. 
So that's all I would and say. And you know, Natalia, another option is looking for remote job opportunities. That's not going to matter where you live. That's true. Right? Too. Um, and and so many more of those are happening because of all of the COVID stuff. And so, you right. know, that's just another option. And whether or not you can get in the country, if you had a remote job, I don't know that. Immigration yeah, that I don't piece. know either. It's yeah, really, so. really complicated, really fast. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. But, um, thank you so much, Natalia. And if you know, let, you. you can reach, you know, reach out to us. The next question that we'd like to ask is, how would you deal with an angry person at work? How would you deal with an angry person at work? And Brooke Jostad. Well, I always tell myself that you can't respond to your to irrational behavior with more irrational behavior. So if someone's angry at work, uh, my job is to be the antithesis of anger and try to be calm and regulated. Um, so if they're angry, I'm going to try to balance that out with calm. Um, and then, of course, if I have anger later, then I deal with that later. <laughs> but um, externally, that's usually my goal and my response to an angry person. So calmly respond, try to respond to the feeling and not the content until that person is calmer. Um, that's generally how I manage that. So, so you, you acknowledge the anger and then uh, and then and once 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 you calm things down, then you address the, whatever the content of the issue is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. Uh, next. Pam Shaw. All I can say to that one is ditto. Okay. <laughs> because <laughs> as you know, this anger can take so many forms and be about so many issues. It can be as being as, as simple as being annoyed that the duplicating machine isn't working to something that looks like it's going to escalate into workplace violence. And so that's why I believe that generally one has to operate with the same protocol. But if it's something out of your hands, get help. Yeah. 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 And Michael Garrett, how would you deal with an angry person at work? I totally agree with Brooke and Pam. You be as calm as you can to try to diffuse that anger. Uh, if you can. If you can, you know, be calm, help them try to bring it down. You know, it, it, it's no, they have a raging fire. You, you just kind of want to calm it down, calm it down until you can talk to that person and see what the, the root of the issue is and diffuse that anger, change it, move it, move it in a different direction. And like Pam said, if you can't, I mean, if it's if it's an uncontrollable fire, go get some help. Great, thank you. Thank you, Michael. Any hands raised, uh, Donna? So the first person we have is David. David, you may speak. So more of a comment, and and would appreciate the panel's uh, um, feedback on from what I've been hearing in my practice and in interviewing um, some of the. Uh, advice that I have received and has been practical for me is understand before you make yourself understood. And so in listening to an interview question or in clinical work or in kind of in life in general is you have two ears and one mouth. So listen twice as much, right? And the interview process is understand the question or understand someone's concern. I find it's been helpful during my interview process and understanding what their question is about 
my disability and about blindness and about how I can do the job. So understanding, you know, when someone's angry at work, understand why they're angry rather than try to just solve it. So listen and think about and understand what the problem is before, you know, you try to make yourself answer an interview question or, or explain how you can do the job or anything like that. And um, I just find that's just been helpful and wondering if that makes sense. Makes sense to me. Thank you. Uh, what, uh, what, what I'd like to say is there, uh, silence is not always bad in an interview. And the best time to be silent and give your chance a, a chance to think is immediately after the question is asked. You know, in other words, give yourself some space. If you're not sure how to address it, give yourself a few seconds to think and, yes. and strategize. And it's okay to say, hey, I don't, I don't understand the question. Can you reframe it? Or, you know, or, or somebody, as somebody said to me when I asked that illegal question, well, essentially, why are you asking the question? You know, uh, those are perfectly appropriate things to do uh, if you're not clear what, what the question is. I found that to be very powerful. But the best time to be silent is immediately after the question is asked to, for you to ponder. How am I going to ask? How am I going to answer this question? So um, I would like to um, make, make sure we get a chance to do this. There's been a lot of advice given, but I'd like to give each uh, person a chance to sort of answer this question any way they feel they'd like to answer it, which is what advice do you have for a person with a visual impairment who is getting ready for an interview? And, and I know there's been a lot said already, but anything that you want to re stress or something different would be welcome. And, and let's start with Michael Garrett. And I'll go back to the points I made earlier. Uh, and, and we've all kind of covered them. Preparation is make sure you know as much as you can about the organization or company that you're uh, seeking to get employment from. Make sure that you present yourself well. Make sure you promote yourself well. And make sure that you go in there with personality, confidence, and and by promoting and pet personality is, is making sure that you want them to know that you are the best person for the organization. You can do what they need to propel that organization forward. Thank you, Michael. And Pam Shaw. Sure. I'm going to go in a bit of a different direction, but one thing I'd like to encourage done, and it was done for me and it made a difference in my interviewing process, was to get someone um, with vision to give you some assessment of what you're doing visually in an interview. Uh, I have been amazed at how much that means. And these days you can use your cell phone and someone can take a video, you know, of you interviewing and give you some tips. Uh, Peter, you remember I told you the story about the dangling earrings. I do. And not realizing that wearing earrings of a certain shape or size can be very distracting to the interview, the interviewer and actually impact. So, um, and also as we always do, Yes, we pay attention to all these things, but don't forget about those external visual issues, like about how you dress and you, you know the rest. So that's just something to still keep in mind in the midst of all of this. And, you, and I would just um, briefly add to that. If you're going to have a Zoom type video conference interview, have somebody work through that with you so you know where to position your eyes and your face yeah. and make sure you're in the camera. So, uh, Brooke, we just In the have, background. Yeah, yeah, in the background, yes. And so we just have a couple minutes. So, Brooke, if you could do this so we could wrap up. 
Um, I guess my advice would just be to be creative, use all of the opportunities you have. Um, try to think of yourself in terms of a strength-based approach and sell yourself as an asset rather than apologize for being there. I think a lot of the times I, I read a quote recently that said something like, um, often as someone with a disability, we find ourselves asking for permission to take part in this world. And I think that that really resonated with me. And I think in interviews and in jobs, we're not asking for permission. We're offering an asset. Thank you, Brooke. And thank you panelists for your interview for the, uh, wizard position. We will be in touch with you uh, in the next uh, two months to let you know uh, who's selected. Uh, Excuse me, I'd like to withdraw my application. (laughs) (laughs) I'm starved in two months. (laughs) (laughs) Carrie, Carrie, can you read the CEO code, please? The CEO code is 70971. Again, 70971. Thank you, everybody, to our panelists and our participants. And good job hunting out there, everybody. <laughs> thank, thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. Thanks. And, and thanks, panelists. You were terrific. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to Let's Get to Work, a podcast from the Employment Committee at the American Council of the Blind. Have questions, episode ideas, or feedback? Feel free to email Brooke Jostet, the committee chair, at B-R-O-O-K-E underscore J-O-S-T-A-D at Comcast.net. Until next time, 